Thank you very much, Annie, for uh, joining us. And uh, we have, uh, during this year, got quite a watery uh, theme to our programme. And uh, when I asked you whether you'd like to speak on this particular passage, I seem to remember you kind of yelped with joy, saying, yes, I'd love to. I'm a keen gardener. And uh, I first met uh, Annie when her and her husband uh, lived at Harborn. Uh, John Hughes uh, was the vicar there. And um, it was great to go over and to see them. And uh, Annie uh, is um, a chaplain in a medical centre, a little bit uh, different. She's a chaplain in GP surgery. Maybe she'll talk more about her work in a moment. Uh, but Annie is a keen gardener. And uh, she's the mother of Tim Hughes, who's written all those amazing songs. But I understand that you've got three boys, and I understand today is a very, very special day because Joshua Jack has come into the world. You're a granny again. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Which is um, obviously very special. So, Annie, we're really looking forward to whatever you're going to bring. Uh, let me pray for you. Thank you. So, Father God, thank you for Annie. Father, thank you for uh, bringing her safely up from uh, Whitney, where she now lives. And, uh, Father, thank you for her keen love of gardening. And most of all, Lord, thank you for her keen love of you. And I pray now that you might powerfully use her. So come, Holy Spirit, come. And just work through what Annie says. And Father God, we are delighted to hear that another little Hughes has come into the world. And Father, thank you for Joshua Jack. And we do pray your richest blessing upon this little boy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much. No, that's, that's, I think that's okay. Thanks very much indeed. Well, it's great to be here. It's great to see you all. I should just say that um, I'm, I'm very keen on flowers and I would say I'm a learning gardener. I would hate you to think that I had green fingers like some of my friends here do. But I, am, I do love flowers very much. Uh, and I do think this is just a stunning verse that uh, we're looking at. And of course it's very topical because this time of year the gardens are... I'll explain this picture in just a moment... Uh, and uh, um, the gardens are looking amazing, and we have been through this period of drought, which yesterday we had the welcome rain. And these words that we're looking at in Isaiah 58, written in the book of Isaiah, were spoken all those years ago to the nation of Israel in a time of judgment when they had forgotten God. They turned away to other things. And this verse was a statement of God's intention for the nation, a picture of what he wanted them to be like and what he was going to bring them into. Um, I think that uh, perhaps I should know, I'll explain that in, in a moment. And, and the wonderful thing about the word of God is that it's alive and it's living. So although those words were spoken all those years ago to the nation of Israel, they are words that God speaks to us personally today about his intention for us, that we should be like a well-watered garden, beautiful, with variety, fruitful, abundant, vitality. It's a wonderful image. And, and this is God's intention for all of us, and it's God's invitation to us. 
Now, as Anne said, uh, a year ago, John and I moved from Birmingham, where we'd been for 19 years. We moved into a little village called Duckington, a pretty uh, village. And um, uh, our house had been occupied by students for the previous six years who really hadn't um, shown any interest or care for the garden. It's a pretty uh, walled garden, but um, actually that is looking even better than when we first arrived. When we first arrived, it was completely overgrown with weeds and ivy. The grass was even yellower than it is there, because if you remember last year, we had something of a drought in the spring too. So uh, I remember looking at this garden that was dry, overgrown, with no colour, thinking, you know, that's pretty much how I feel myself. I'd moved away from all that was familiar and that I loved. I felt empty, I felt tired, I felt dry, I felt lonely. I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I'm saying that's how it is sometimes. And a few weeks later, Anne phoned me up and said, would you come and speak at Streams? We're doing this theme on water. And she said, would you like to speak on this verse? And the reason I yelped for joy was not so much because I'm a keen gardener, although I do enjoy it. It because I thought, yes, that's what I believe God's intention and purpose is for me, as indeed it is for all of us, despite how we may feel. So it's a fantastic message. God says to every one of us, you will be like a well-watered garden. Fantastic. So just a few pictures. This is actually when it was a bit better. Um, this is, how, you know, with a bit more work and a few little snapshots um, of my garden now. And, and the next pictures are not my garden. But that's how in time, who knows. But just look at the colour and the variety and the sheer beauty. I think there's one more. Yes. Just such a beautiful picture. And God says that's his intention. That's his invitation to all of us uh, to be um, inside. Oh, let's take it off. I do apologize. Let's put it down there. So let's look at some of the things that cause dryness uh, in, in a garden. And firstly, there's the type of soil. Some soils, we know, have poor drainage. Light, sandy, and chalky soils are more prone to dryness. And as any gardener will tell us, the answer lies in the soil. And the soil represents to me uh, those things, the, the circumstances in our lives in which we find ourselves, the situation that we're in. Because it's very easy at times to think, if only things were better, if only things were different, then I too could blossom. Um, if only perhaps my work situation were not so stressful. If only my marriage and family life were not under such pressure. If only I were married. If only perhaps my church was more as I'd like it to be. We're very good at 
putting on these if-onlys, then perhaps I would feel more as though my life was fruitful and beautiful. As Anne said, I have three sons. They're all married and uh, living in London, so I have three lovely daughters-in-law. And fairly recently, I was having a very honest chat with one of my daughters-in-law. Uh, she has three children, and her, her youngest, who is now nine months, um, was born two weeks before her eldest daughter had her third birthday. So she had three under three. And, and Rachel is a very organized person. Um, she loves routine and structure. And with the help of Gina Ford, some of you will know what I'm talking about. She has, um, uh, you know, uh, had, had a good routine uh, in her, her family life. But it's hard work. And she was saying to me recently just how hard the last couple of years have been. And she said she hadn't realized how many sacrifices there are to be made. And she said that uh, uh, once upon a time she was um, a career girl who had a good job working at the BBC. And she said, now I'm just a tired-looking mother pushing her buggy through the streets of London. She felt the bottom of the pile overlooked. Her husband was still enjoying his career, um, although a bit more tired than he used to be. Uh, but nevertheless, she said that she had, had been feeling resentment uh, at uh, the cost that it had all been. And in one moment of, of honesty, she was talking to a friend, and she said, I never realized it would be so hard. And her friend, who's the mother of four boys, said very wisely, don't you realize, Rachel, this is the very place in these circumstances where you are going to thrive and where God is going to meet you. And uh, she, sudden, she said that she suddenly saw that actually it wasn't going to more meetings or having more ministry or any of those things that was actually going to um, increase her sense of uh, being alive in God. It was that saying yes to the circumstances in which she found herself and, and accepting that there, in that tough place, there she would discover the beautiful fruits of acceptance contentment, gratitude, forgiveness. And I have to say, I've seen these fruits blossoming in her. Because it's nothing to do with the circumstances we're in, hard as they may be at times. It's what we allow God to do in us through them. I remember when I was going through a hard time myself, I went to visit uh, a nun who was my spiritual director at the time. And she said these very earthly words to me. But when we're talking about gardens, we're talking about earthiness. She said, God can take the shit of our lives and turn it into manure. <laughs> I like that. It's in our circumstances, in our situation where we feel dry, empty, barren, bleak, that God says that's the very place 
where I will meet you and transform you and to cause you to blossom. And I wonder, dare we trust that the seeming barrenness of my soul, soil, there lie seeds that are germinating. Are we prepared to believe that even my desert can blossom like a rose? Whatever your tough situation may be, and we all face them at times, loneliness, emptiness, fears, disappointment. God says, this is my intention for you. This is my invitation to you, that you will be like a well-watered garden. Then secondly, I think, uh, another cause uh, of, of dryness in the garden is too much sun. Because, of course, uh, too much sun will cause excessive dryness of the soil. Most of us love the sun, which is why we uh, chase it uh, when we're on holiday. We find places where we'll we'll find the sun. But for the garden, if it's too much, it'll scorch the land. And particularly if the roots don't go down too deep, uh, then the the sun will scorch uh, the, the plant and it will wither. There's an Arab proverb that says, too much sun gives you a desert. And I've thought that uh, uh, this, uh, for me, is an analogy of the challenge of godly choices, choosing to live God's way. Because the context of these verses speak against a background where Israel had a preoccupation with its own needs and passions and was actually forgetting God. And here in this passage in Isaiah, we have a warning against selfishness, greed, and indifference to God. And this invitation uh, of God's uh, to be fruitful and beautiful comes with three ifs in this passage. Uh, it says, if you as a nation do not forsake God, if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, if you keep yourself from doing as you please, uh, and if you do not honour me by going your own way and doing as you please, if you do not do these things, you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never run dry. You see, there are consequences. And this verse challenges me to continually be asking God to guide my choices, how I spend my time, how I choose my lifestyle, the quality of my friendships and relationships. You see, we're all unique So there isn't a blueprint for any of us, and that's rather wonderful. Um, You know, it's up to each of us how many possessions we have, how we use our time, how we use our gifts. But there's one verse that I think stands out for me in the Bible as one that challenges me the most, and it's this verse from Proverbs. Above all else, it says, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. One version puts it like this, 
Put everything you have into the care of your heart, for it determines what your life amounts to. That's pretty challenging stuff, isn't it? You know, and I've thought that as I think about um, uh, what's in my heart, a question that I think is often helpful to look at is how contented am I? It's so easy, I think, particularly in our culture, to allow greed, jealousy, envy uh, to, to, to grow up. And these things creep in almost unnoticed, but of unchecked, they, they take hold. We know that in our own lives. I remember some years ago when uh, we were living in High Wycombe before we'd moved to Birmingham, and um, our house, our vicarage, was right next door to the church. There's a little bit of uh, grass in between. Um, and the church, because it was, was growing uh, and become too small, they did a large church extension. And so this uh, little bit of ground became um, where, where the extension was. Our small garden became a builder's yard. And my constant neighbours were JCB and a pneumatic drill. And I moaned. I grumbled inside a great deal. And I found envy crept up inside me. Envy of other people whose gardens weren't like that. Resentment at some of the things that were going on. The church was growing and God was doing wonderful things. But actually I had become focused on what I uh, wasn't having uh, and what I was feeling uh, bad about. And um, I remember one day I'd driven the boys to school, I'd dropped them off and I was on my way home and I was just saying to God how, how full of resentment and grumbling I was. Well, I don't think I was saying that, I was just telling God how fed up I felt. And then I felt the, the whisper of God that said to me, the thing that's hurting you most is your grumbling. And you know, when God speaks, it's that ring of truth, and it hit me. And I remembered that actually the children of Israel went round and round for 40 years because of their grumbling. That's how seriously God takes it. And when I realized how much I'd let this complaining and grumbling take root, I don't think I'd probably said it outside uh, much, but I'd certainly said it to my husband, and I certainly knew it was wrapped around my heart. And so I decided that I would go uh, and visit uh, a neighboring clergyman and just ask God for confession in this person's presence. I remember going along... And just kneeling down and just saying to God, I'm so sorry for the way that I've grumbled. I'm so sorry for the envy that I've felt of other people. Uh, And I, I just asked God to cleanse me from those things that had grown up in my heart. And then I heard the words of confession. Beloved daughter, your sins are forgiven you. And I remember as I walked out, it was a fairly new vicarage, and there was an empty flower bed out at the front. And as I walked out, I looked at it, and I thought, that's like my heart. There's nothing that's uh, bad growing in it at this moment. It's been weeded. And now I have the chance to grow the good um, 
flowers, the good fruit. Um, because you see, we can't resist being tempted to be greedy, to be proud, to be envious. But we can resist the choice to let it grow. And I would just say to all of us that I think if we are to be a well-watered garden with all the beauty and fruitfulness of that, we need to guard our hearts. And when we're aware of these things coming along, which they will, you know, it's our response to ask God's forgiveness, to dig up the weeds quickly, to keep short accounts so that we're not allowing anything to spoil what God intends for us. Many of your gardens, I guess, have that awful bindweed growing in it and it wraps itself around. And so often I think we can allow um, uh, thoughts to become like bindweed that wrap themselves around us. And God says to us, guard our hearts. It's the wellspring of life. Um, And so that was uh, another uh, important challenge, I think, to us as we're looking at what is God's intention for us to guard our hearts. And then thirdly, uh, another area that can cause dryness in soil is overcrowding. In our last garden, in the vicarage garden, there were many, many trees. Trees are very beautiful, but these trees not only blocked the light, but also, of course, uh, they absorbed moisture from the soil. And I would just say to all of us, beware of overcrowding. We all live busy lives. That's the way we live now. Uh, And there are constant demands on our time, constant deadlines. Um, It's the pace of life that's part of our culture. And sadly, the thing that most often gets put aside and left out is time with God in our busy lives. David Runcorn, an author, wrote a book called Space for God, which sadly, I think, is now out of print. But in this book, I remember, he says that if you read any piece of writing without punctuation, it is simply a hectic string of words. doesn't make any sense at all. We need the commas, the semicolons, and the full stop to make it uh, read with sense. And we know, too, in the life of Jesus, how often he went to spend time with his father because he knew that there, in the presence of his father, he would find meaning, direction. He would hear the words of God speaking truth and love to him. And it was out of that time with his father that he operated in the way that he did. I have been uh, studying recently the the life of Moses, and I've been really challenged by this story of Moses. Because at the outset, Moses was an impulsive, somewhat arrogant person. He'd had a privileged but isolated upbringing in Pharaoh's courts, uh, where he went to live, and most likely this made him uh, to be a rather selfish person. We know that as a young adult, he killed an Israelite in anger and then ran away uh, because he didn't want to face the consequences. And then one day when he's just idling his time, looking after the flocks, 
he has an encounter with God. He sees this burning bush. And we're told that he hid his face. And then God said to him, Moses, I want you to be the person who takes the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. And we know the story where Moses pleads with God, anyone but me. I can't speak. I'm too shy. They won't listen to me. And still God says, no, it's you I want. And then eventually Moses says, just send someone else. And God says, okay, you can take Aaron, your brother, with you. But still I want you to go. Because I know that it's my power at work in you that's going to have the effect that's needed. It's not in your strength. It's in the strength of God's power. And so we know the story of how Moses then sets out to to, uh, take the children of Israel through this journey. And so often in this story, we read that Moses left the camp where all the people uh, were uh, doing their own thing in order to go up to the mountain where he spent time with God. It's a wonderful verse. Let me just um, read it to you. Where um, uh, it says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. This man who'd hid his face from terror can't now get enough of the presence of God because it was here in this friendship with God in the presence of God that he was empowered inspired and where he knew the confidence of God and if we we uh, think later to uh, when Moses um, led the people uh, out of uh, Egypt Uh, consider this Moses, the reluctant, cringing Moses of the desert, with a man who stands on the banks of the Red Sea, with 600,000 Israelite men, not to mention all the women of children. Imagine the chaos. And the Israelites uh, were stranded between the swirling waters of the Red Sea and the chariots of Egypt coming after them. And Moses stands up, and with great confidence and boldness, he says, Do not be afraid. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to stand still. What confidence, what boldness, what a miracle. And every one of them stepped across. That, I believe, came out of being in the presence of God. And I just want to say to all of us, Beware of overcrowding. In the midst of all our busyness, all the demands, that time that we create to spend with God, to listen to his voice, to be in his presence, is the very thing that will enable us to do these miraculous signs and wonders that is God's intention for all of us for every one of us, and it flows out of being in the presence of God. And then finally, what does a well-watered garden need? It needs water. 
It needs water either by rain or by hosepipe. Um, and as I've been watering my garden the last weeks, I know that's the thing that is most going to uh, bring a garden into its full beauty and fruitfulness. And in the Old Testament, water was a symbol of the Holy Spirit, the life-giving, refreshing, cleansing Holy Spirit. And God said to Israel so many times, I will pour out water on dry and barren land. I will cause streams to flow in the desert. I will make the desert to blossom like a rose. And then in the New Testament, we have that wonderful occasion when Jesus, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when there were thousands of people there, he stood up and in a loud voice, we're told, he said, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And this he said of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is God's wonderful, wonderful gift to us, to every one of us. I grew up in a Christian home, and so I grew up knowing about the love of God. I knew that Jesus had died for me. As to what the Holy Spirit did, I really didn't know at all. And it wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I went along to a church uh, and, and I heard the speaker, young curate, speaking about how recently he'd received the gift of the Holy Spirit and it had transformed him. He said, I now, uh, I read the Bible and it's come alive. When I pray, I'm aware that I'm in a rela- living relationship with God. I've got a new boldness to speak. I was on the edge of my seat. And uh, uh, I later phoned him and said, uh, can I come and have some prayer? Because what you spoke about is what I want. I went along and he said, I've never prayed for anyone before to receive the spirit. But he said, there's always a first time. So he said, I'll, I'll ask and you thank God. And that's exactly what we did. And so I just thanked God in faith for this gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and later on was filled with just an immense sense of joy. And it's different for all of us, but I know that the gift of the Holy Spirit is the most wonderful gift we can all be given. It's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead who lives in us. It's that powerful, refreshing, cleansing, purifying Holy Spirit that enables us to do the same things that Jesus did on earth. It's wonderful. On Saturday evening, I was in London. I was at the O2, which is uh, where the old Millennium Dome was, and there were 16,000 of us there worshipping God and praying for the Spirit of God at Pentecost. It was an event put on by um, HTB, um, Hillsong, and the Nigerian church um, with Pastor Agu. And we praised and worshipped and declared the mighty power of God, and then we prayed that the Holy Spirit would come upon our nation. And so I have to say that when it rained yesterday, and in Oxford it rained hard, I said, thank you, God, because this is what we're wanting for our nation, and it's what we're wanting for ourselves. 
the Holy Spirit, who's able to teach us, to guide us, to counsel us, to comfort us, to empower us. And one of the oldest prayers in the liturgy is, Come, Holy Spirit. And it's a prayer we could do well to say every day. Come, Holy Spirit. Because as we welcome the Holy Spirit, God is able to do so much through us. I close with, as many of you will know, my favorite verse in the Bible. I do actually have a number of favorite verses, but this is one of them. And it says in Ephesians 3, now to him who's able to do far more more than we ask or imagine, according to his power at work in us. And what I love about the character of God is there's so much abundance. If you think of a well-watered garden, think of the abundance. Think of this verse that says God's able to do far more than we ask or imagine. And I close with this wonderful quote from N.T. Wright, who's a, a wonderful theologian. He's the Bishop of Durham, as, or he was. Is he still? I'm not sure. Um, anyway, he says this in his commentary in Ephesians on this verse. He says, carefully think of what God might do in you and through you. You as a community, you as an individual. Reflect on the fact that God is perfectly capable of doubling that, trebling that, going so far beyond it that you would look back at the present moment and wonder how could you be so short-sighted. That's our God. That's our God. That's the God who says in the circumstances in which we find ourselves that may be difficult, that's the soil that I can use to cause you to be fruitful beautiful, vibrant. It's the God who says, guard, guard your heart because from it, from it flows the wellspring of life. It's the God who says, come to me, talk with me as friend to friend. It's the God who says, receive my gift of the Holy Spirit, my life, my power in you. And you know, with that, we can see God doing things beyond our imagining. It's a fantastic message. Thanks be to God.